Welcome to North Shore Newsweek. Hello, hello, North Shore, and welcome to another edition of North Shore Newsweek. I am Joe Coglin. That is Martin Carlino, and we are two of the co-founders of the record NorthShore.org, a local neighborhood nonprofit news site that uh, produces responsible, nonpartisan news every single day for your community, which is Nutria Township. So from Wilmette down to uh, up to Glencoe, I should say, over to Northfield and every town in between. Uh, we cover those towns and those communities um, every single day. So this podcast is a vehicle to get you all the headlines that we put together this week, um, at least um, not all of them, actually, just a a, uh, a recap of the, the top ones, the top stories for you. We do it in a quick and simple, digestible, as they say in the industry, three-segment format where we do a lead story, then we go up and down the shore, and then we give you the featured feature. So uh, without further ado, it was a, a big week. Started last week when the governor made his mask mandate. Obviously, it's a big part of our coverage is education coverage. Uh, so we're kind of waiting for the chips to fall and how these districts would, districts would react to the governor's mask mandate indoors for all K through 12, uh, pre-K through 12. Um, and uh, we had our first couple, and uh, we're going to start with the the high school that covers public high school covers most of our Nutrier, who had a board meeting yesterday. Yeah, and this was actually a special board of education meeting as um, that board was not set to meet until after the school year had already started. So uh, officials got together after the governor's mandate that we discussed last week in detail to call this special meeting to discuss what their mitigation plan and uh, measures are going to be for the upcoming school year. So uh, administrators walked the board of education through what their plan for this school year is and um, it includes a lot of what we've reported on before, but some um, unique parts to Nutria's plan that are a little different than we've seen from other schools who have come forward. So um, masking indoor, it, which aligns Nutria with uh, the governor's mandate that was made last week, as well as, um, and this is kind of the part that, that stuck out to us and, and caught our attention, is that Nutria will be requiring unvaccinated staff men members and unvaccinated students who participate in extracurricular activities, so clubs or sports, to uh, undergo weekly COVID-19 testing. So um, the option is still going to be available for students who are vaccinated if they would like to opt into that testing and participate in that as well. Um, but as I'd mentioned, unvaccinated staff and unvaccinated students in extracurriculars will be required to take COVID-19 testing. So. Um, Aside from that, a lot, as I'd mentioned, is uh, materials that we've reported on uh, previously that Nutria has kind of highlighted all throughout the summer at some of the prior Board of Education meetings. That includes uh, daily in-person attendance five days a week. That includes uh, full classroom capacities. Obviously, obviously, last year, classroom capacities were limited um, because of the required six feet of social distancing. That has now been reduced to three feet of social distancing. So that's going to allow uh, all classrooms at Nutria to return to full capacity this school year. And um, ultimately, Dr. Paul Sally, who is the district superintendent, um, said that officials are hoping that it's going to be a more normal than not year and uh, kind of just a little bit of a return to normalcy. Last year and the end of the 2019-20 school year, obviously greatly impacted by the pandemic and um, officials are hopeful that this year, 
um, especially once we get into the second half of the school year, will be a little less um, affected by the pandemic and just slightly like a normal school year. But um, we just posted right before our recording this podcast, a full breakdown of that board meeting, which happened on Wednesday, August 11th. Um, so anyone looking for any additional details, go on over to our site to check out um, pretty detailed plans from Nutrier. I believe it was a 10-page memo that um, the administration had sent to the board in about an hour and a half meeting last night, um, only discussing this topic. So um, should mention that uh, although Nutrier will be requiring those uh, weekly testing uh, for the two groups that I had mentioned, a very significant portion of the Nutria High School community is vaccinated. As officials said at the meeting, they they that roughly 92% of Nutria staff members are fully vaccinated, and roughly 88% of Nutria students are fully vaccinated. So, very very high numbers there that uh, exceed local and national levels. So. Um, a lot more information in the article if you're still looking for a little bit more, but um, really the first of our local school districts, Joe, that we've seen come forward with the requirement for weekly testing for unvaccinated staff members. Yeah, staff members and those in the um, extracurricular bucket for students. And But as you mentioned, with the vaccinated numbers, the, that's a very small sample. Um, those are small numbers um, that are gonna be, but they are out there and they'll be required to test on a weekly basis. Um, another interesting part of that story, Marty, I think, and, and I'm not gonna go into too much detail, but you guys check it out, is the difference in quarantining this year. We know a lot more about the virus. I shouldn't say we, I, I mean, I read from the professionals. The professionals <laughs> know a lot more about the virus. And because of that, they're able to, to kind of um, narrow the scope of the quarantine and the dangers of it. Um, and so vaccinated individuals don't have to quarantine if they're not showing symptoms and there's other kind of uh, mitigation or I'm sorry, there are kind of eased restriction, eased quarantine restrictions. So check those out. Um, they're all listed there. Mike, uh, Marty did a good job breaking them down. Um, so while Nutrier's uh, the, the largest and most encompassing district in our coverage area, uh, it wasn't the first. Uh, Glencoe had to react pretty quickly um, so we're moving, by the way, that was our lead story. We're going to segue easily and up and down the shore and start with our northernmost town, Glencoe. And Glencoe District 35 was actually the first community uh, district, public district to, in our coverage area, to announce what they're doing um, because their board meeting was the next night. It was, it was Thursday after um, the governor's announcement on Wednesday. So very similar to Nutria. I think you're going to see that from Wilmette, Winneka, Avoca, Sunset Ridge as well. Um, as these are feeder schools for Nutrier. Um, Glencoe has masking indoors. Um, we're going to mention that in every story, just so you know that they're following the mandate. Um, it'll be obviously bigger news if they defy it, but um, we'll include that in every story that they're masking indoors. Um, and they are um, doing an optional testing for, uh, um, for uh, students and staff. Um, and um, in here too, in the story that we recapped, there's uh, some information about the quarantine, um, um, kind of the eased um, quarantine protocol. So you can check that out. They're also doing an all in-person format. They are not having any option um, for uh, virtual or mobile learning. So there's no options for that. Students must come to school. 
um, in all in-person format, school classrooms filled, similar to Nutrier, kind of all that stuff. Just, I think an interesting nuance to these stories is that the definition kind of a close contact is a bit different because we have vaccinations as a, as a weapon against the virus. So a lot of students within District 35 have vaccinations as well, um, as well as close contact isn't six feet, it's three feet. And for a certain amount of time, just a lot of details in there, those things have changed. So you should see fewer quarantines across um, the coverage area um, across the state this, this school year, um, at least to start the school year. So check out that story too. Glencoe 35 set their plan in motion for the school year. That's the interesting note on Glencoe 35 is that uh, several times throughout the pandemic, we've seen them sort of be at the forefront of some mitigation measures that we haven't seen in our other school districts. If our listeners will remember back a few months ago, they were the first district of ours that announced they'd be requiring staff members and students, I believe it was, to uh, eligible students, I should say, to submit um, their vaccination status. And this was a couple months ago. So I assume that they will still be moving forward with that. And um, that will play a factor in I should say that did play a factor in how they devised their plan for mitigation measures. But um, dating back about six or seven months, they were the first district of ours that required a negative PCR COVID test after their adaptive learning pause to return to in-person learning. So just an interesting note on D35, but um, they're so far what we've seen their plan outline uh, is pretty similar to, to what we've seen from other school districts, but um, it's some, in, some interesting notes from Glencoe 35 throughout the pandemic. Yeah. And that, that information, that data about the vaccine vaccination status of both staff and students, whether at Glencoe, whether at Nutria is so important now this school year for contact tracing, because if you know the vaccine status of that student without having to go through a process of um, proving it, then you can quickly, this is all from Dr. Wang, by the way, at Glencoe 35, I'm paraphrasing, they're able to quickly react to a positive case and possible quarantines without disrupting the school year or education too much, unlike last year. It's going to be a lot more efficient than last year. So that's important data for them. She talked about that at the meeting. So thanks for bringing that up, Mark. Um, We will also have stuff on Wilmette 39, which is next. No, Winneka 36 is next next week, as well as Avoca. And then Wilmette's the following week. So we'll have all those um, startup plans as well. I should mention for our listeners who are really into government meetings, I think the Wilmette Public Schools Committee of the Whole might be meeting next week. The regular board might be, I believe Joe's correct, in the following week. But if you're really itching to, uh, to get a government meeting from Wilmette Public Schools, I believe the Committee of the Whole is a meeting sometime next week, early next week. We could also tell you about some park board committees and zoning <laughs> um, as Who well. doesn't love a good park board meeting? commission other commissions with the village just let us know we'll, we'll hook you up with your a full meeting schedule you can check out um moving down to Winneka um and actually we're gonna do a little com- combination here with Winneka Northfield neighbors right there in the middle of our coverage area and uh, a little bit of uh, relief for library goers yeah the Winneka Northfield library district recently announced that it will no longer be charging fines on overdue materials um, checked out at either the Winneka or Northfield Library building. So um, that new initiative from the district went into effect earlier this month. I believe it was Monday, August 2nd. 
um, according to some information we got from the library. But um, in addition to removing the fees on those overdue items, they also removed all existing fines on uh, overdue items. So if you had uh, rented out an item from either of those libraries with a overdue fee on it, it is now removed. So uh, officials from the library say that this is in an effort to share more of the collection with even more of the community as sometimes um, late fees and fines for overdue materials can be a bit of a barrier for locals who are maybe hesitant to check something out from the library. So um, each item you check out moving forward at the library will still have a due date and uh, you are still going to be responsible for honoring that due date or renewing the item to extend that due date. Um, and hopefully returning that item in a timely manner will result in uh, everyone who is a library patron getting the desired material they're looking for. So um, if you, although you're not going to be charged a, uh, a late fee anymore, uh, your account could be blocked from additional checkouts if you do have a library item that is more than two weeks overdue. So um, that, that block would include a lot of the materials uh, that you can normally get from the library. So um, a interesting move. And hopefully, as you had mentioned there, Joe, it uh, removes a little bit of a barrier and is some good news for uh, library growers who may have some fines or in the past uh, have had some fines at the library. So um, interesting little move from the Winneka Northfield Library District. Yeah, I'm trying hard not to make a uh, Seinfeld joke about when he had the the late fee from his high school book, uh, <laughs> and the library inspector was named Mr. Bookman, which is just it's a classic episode. Anyway, so moving on, uh, we're going to go to Kenilworth, go back toward the shore, and talk about uh, Townley Field. So that is um, Kenilworth's la uh, flagship park, right there, kind of in, in the main corridor. Once you take a left and you enter Kenilworth, <laughs> I can say that because Kenilworth is such a tight and small community. Um, but it's, it's getting an overhaul, a big one. Um, and it's been in the works for months, months long process as, um, as a resident feedback is combining with park district concepts and things like that. And they're finally narrowing it down into a final concept draft that the park board is going to look at next week. So, um, talk to John Koala over there, the executive director. And he told me that, um, we're looking at, and I, I reviewed the concepts too, but we're looking at a new athletic fields, baseball field, as well as um, some pickleball courts um, that they're going to install there. Some new playground equipment, replacing the old playground equipment. Um, we're looking at um, maybe some uh, pavilion starts, obviously some landscaping. It's getting a, just a big overhaul. Then some other amenities we're not yet sure. We'll see what the park board thinks of them. Things like an ice rink, which Kenilworth used to be known for, but they, it was it was trouble maintaining it. So they're moving to a coil ice rink, which uh, kind of sends this liquid through the bottom, through these pipes that keeps it, uh, maintains it a lot better. Uh, Same quality of ice though? Yeah, they're expecting it to, I mean, stay a lot more consistent, which you know, that's huge. Got yeah. nice. Can't be having a sloppy wet ice rink out there, but that's a little fun fact for the listeners right there that Kenilworth used to have an ice rink. Oh yeah. They it used to be known. That used to be their thing. Um, and then uh, some other possible amenities are a field house as well as um, there's a lot. I'm blanking on some of the other possibilities, but you can expect the athletic fields and the new playground equipment and just an overhaul um, and kind of a reshaping the park to expand to the footprint that they currently have. Make sure they hit all the boundaries there. And uh, one kind, two, two quirks in this plan is 
the the Green Bay Trail runs nine miles um, up adjacent to the railroad tracks up through the North Shore, except for a small gap in Kenilworth. That gap or the perfect placement for to continue that bike path is actually not their uh, land. So they can't really include that within the Talmy Field, although that would make sense um, if you're looking at it, um, looking at the land. Uh, I, I'm sorry, an overview, a layout. Um, that land's owned by Union Pacific. So they are working on it, Koala told me, because a lot of that's a lot of interest at Tomley Field is for that bike path to continue. They're working on it, but it's not a direct part of this plan. Second part is the funding. Um, they want to get it approved next month, at least the draft concept, of course, not the individual part of the parts of that concept are going to need to be approved and designed. But the overall draft, they hope to get approved so they can apply for a matching grant of $400,000. And uh, that's going to be, that's essential for the product to move the, the plat the plan to move forward. The funding that goes adjacent to that is quirky too. You can read about this. They raised money two years ago in May, 2019 for another project, but that project kind of fell apart a little bit. Um, so they have this funding, they haven't used it. So they have to go back to the donors and see if they could transfer it to this Townley field renovation. So that's also in the works. Um, if not, they're going to have to find another way, but just some, um, hitches to the plan. It's not a perfect one right now. They're working on smoothing it out, but, um, they hope that the park board approves it next Thursday so they can move forward with that grant application. Um, check out all that. It's, it's, it gets a bit convoluted, but, um, that park is definitely getting a facelift and some major upgrades, Townley Field. That's Kenilworth, uh, moving down one town um, to uh, Wilmette. We had a ton of Wilmette coverage. I don't know if you guys have noticed this in our coverage. You probably haven't, only us have, only we have, I'm sure. But there is just one week a month where it's just like all Wilmette meetings, park board, village board. And it just seems to be four or five stories come out of that. And we feel so Wilmette heavy. It's one of those weeks. So we have a bunch next week. It's, it's a, a slew of meetings too, but we got a mix of everybody. So this week we got a few Wilmette things. If you see on our site, we're going to um, stick with the park board and more importantly, the lakefront. So Gilson. So we did a, a rundown of, if you've seen the signs along Sheridan Road, uh, that's where they're mostly concentrated. They're kind of spread out too, but really on Sheridan Road, you're going to see sign after yard sign, that says keep Gilson green. What does that mean? We did a deep dive. Uh, we talked to that group, a grassroots group of residents right there near the lakefront, probably 10 to 15 residents that are heavily involved and organized um, in basically advocating to maintain the natural, natural amenities of Gilson Park. They're worried that the park district is too concerned about adding uh, things like uh, pavement or recreational activities and not as much about maintaining what's currently there. So uh, we looked into that. It's, it, we got plenty of information on what their main, um, their main concerns are. We also talked with the park district. So their concerns, the park district feels like they're enabling a bit of misinformation that stems from early concepts from their design group, Lakota group, which really in their early concepts in April kind of threw everything against the wall. They said, this is everything we can do. And a lot of residents got upset by like, hey, you know, we don't want another road through Gilson Park. Hey, we don't want, uh, you know, three different sidewalks or more parking or to take down a hundred trees, et cetera. And those plans were never concrete, uh, according to Steve Wilson. And 
In fact, the park board denied all four of those concepts in their entirety. So they're taking little pieces, but the park board denied all four. So um, none, none, uh, none of those are happening in their entirety, but um, that kind of mobilized keep Gilson green um, to make sure they're advocating for the park. Um, and a lot of them live right there on Michigan Avenue next to it. So that's what kill, keep Gilson green is all about. The park boards, the park district's trying to make sure that the right information is getting out. So Steve Wilson, um, the executive director put a Q&A. Well, he released information kind of in a Q&A format of constant questions he's hearing about the park, such as, are you going to add 108 parking spaces? Are you going to take down 100 trees? The answer to both of those are no, but he goes into more explanations about exactly what is happening, what is not happening, and kind of the gray area they're still deciding, which is a majority of this, um, and kind of leads to the Gilson plan update they talked about this week at the park board meeting. They heard a presentation from the Lakota group, the design group, as well as um, the architects behind the plan, um, the comprehensive plan, which has been in the works for a long time. And now they hope they kind of put a timeline those ideas, all those ideas that are happening in the footprint of the park are going to be put in a final draft concept in September. Then they're going to get more resident feedback, which they've done for a couple of months. And then a final comprehensive plan is supposed to be approved by the end of the year. That's about a six month delay from when they thought in the early summer. Um, but obviously a lot of things have happened since then. Um, and some resident feedback has push things a little bit, um, but read all those stories about Keep Gilson Green as well as the Gilson plan update because um, there's a lot of information there. If you're interested in what's going on in the lakefront, you should check them out. Um, there's also a portion there about the Lakeview Center, which is kind of the main um, gathering hub right there. They use it as a programming space, a small event space, as well as some park district offices. Um, they are planning to rehab that separate from the comprehensive plan. So see what they're up to there. That's in the early stages. Uh, I'm running out of breath, but that's what's going on at Keep Gilson Green. Not the Gilson plan. Not often you see a executive director of a park district post a question and answer style format uh, on the district's website in response to uh, a comprehensive plan that hasn't even been finalized yet. So clearly, this is an issue as Joe detailed that is um, getting locals' attention, whether that be positive or. Uh, a bit of possible contention related to it. So um, certainly something that the community has shown a strong interest in. And uh, what's really interesting to note is just how much work has gone into this and how much um, because of that contention, how much this project has sort of been uh, pushed back a little bit. Uh, as we reported earlier, when we first um, had our first story authored on this comprehensive plan, I believe that was sometime in, in early March. The original target completion date was, uh, according to the Park District, in the early summer. So uh, as Joe had mentioned there, we're already pushed back several months on that initial time frame. And I don't think it would be too much of a surprise if it was even pushed back a little bit further. But clearly an issue that is gathering locals' attention left and right. Yeah, and I think it's clear it's not editorializing to say that park officials are frustrated with some of the terms in the community you know the term keep gilson green implies that someone's trying to make gilson not green and i think they took somewhat of a um umbrage to that and are trying to combat that as well as the the main tagline for keep gilson green was um stop the park district from paving over paradise to build a parking lot they took that down in the past week 
but I think the park board, park officials, both both staff and board members have addressed that directly um, in public settings, um, that that's not what they're doing. And I, I think you could you could hear the frustration in their voice. So something to keep an eye on for sure. But I think everybody, to be honest, is pulling in the correct direction or with their heart. They, they all want to um, do what's right for, for the park and for the park users. So um, take that for what it is. And there's plenty more to come in the fall. So that is, <coughs> excuse me up and down the shore from Glencoe to Wilmette, our second segment. Um, we finished things up here with our featured feature. We had a little fun over the weekend and we are going to share it with you. Um, we had our first golf outing, our first really major event. We did a launch party back in when we launched in October, 2020, um, just to kind of celebrate a little bit there. But this was our first major fundraiser event. Um, we were out there at a golf course in Morton Grove. Thank you to Chick Evans. It was great. We had, we had dinner from Pit and Tap, who donated the whole meal for everybody. Um, a pulled pork sandwich, which was, uh, this is editorializing, awesome. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Can confirm. Sources can confirm. <laughs> it was very good. I we, think multiple sources can confirm. Even. Yeah, about uh, about 20. Uh, and even even a couple guys in the pro shop, we, we snuck some sandwiches to those fellas. Um, other sponsors, coworkers had a group out there. Um, we are tenants. Uh, I don't know if tenants is the right word. Um, users, because it is a service. So um, we rent some space out of coworkers, and they brought a foursome out there. So there's they were a sponsor. They won, by the way, like everything. Pretty cool. Pretty good foursome. Unstoppable. Yeah, good force there. Um, Central Station Coffee and Tea uh, donate some five dollar gift cards for our goodie bags. Um, so just uh, some community support. Um, a lot of uh, local news lovers out there golfing and raising money for a good cause, which was us. Um, so thank you to everybody. Marty, did you have a good time? Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Got a second D review on pit and tap and, uh, we didn't get a ton of swings in ourselves. but, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that if the record had a foursome out there, we would not have won. <laughs> Fair. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. Um, now, if you guys want to have a put a softball team together, maybe Martin and I. Can oh yeah, we're in. We'll see you there. Possible basketball too. I don't know about the, the golf though. We're out there just having a good time. But it was fun driving around. We raffled off um, a Jason Kipnis game used bat, um, some autographed photos, um, and of course a fifty fifty raffle and stuff. So um, some cash was moving around. People were enjoying it, having a good time. Um, it was good. It was fun. Thank you to everybody who came out there. We do have a photo gallery, fun photo gallery on the website with a little bit of a recap. So check it out. Um, that and so much more on the record northshore.org. Um, and that's it. That's our show for this week, guys. But you know, before we go, um, instead of giving you an update on things to come, we got plenty of stories to come. Trust me. I uh, just want to say this is uh, Martin's last I don't know if it's the last podcast. I bet he makes another appearance. But, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Time, um, Martin is, is taking a, a new job, one that sounds excellent for him and, and, um, and his family. And uh, so he is no longer a full-time employee as of tomorrow. And uh, he's meant a lot to the record. We couldn't have started it without him. We couldn't have gotten here without him. Um, 11 months in if we are. Um, and uh, even if you don't haven't met Marty, you definitely read his stuff. And he's bylined most of the board coverage that we've done um, and a majority of the content that we've written. So, um, Marty, thanks for all your work, man. Anything you want to say? Well, thank you, Joe. That was a very kind message. Just want to say thanks to all of our readers and listeners for the support so far. Um, 
I'm sure you can join me in saying this, Joe, that we've been, you know, overwhelmed by the great support that we've received so far and so many kind messages throughout this past year plus and um, just your willingness to support the record, to read our work, um, and, and more so your, your willingness to appreciate local journalism, something we believe in very much. And clearly you've shown us that you believe in it and value it as well. So um, thank you for coming along the journey with us. There's still a lot more to come. This is definitely not my last podcast episode. So hold back your tears. Um, you'll be hearing this voice, I think, still a couple more times. So appreciate everyone for your support. And thank you so much again. Yeah, thank you guys. And, and last shout out, remember we are a nonprofit newsroom and your support is the uh, fuels our engine. So you want to power local journalism, um, please become a donor or a subscriber. Check out the record northshore.org to do both. And uh, with that, till next week. Thanks for listening.